All right, well, good morning, everyone. How are you guys this morning? Good, that's good. I am doing well also. Um, we are in our last week of a sermon series that we have enjoyed this summer uh, called Just What I Needed. And the ser- series kind of theme was that we would hear from various speakers, both in our church and people who we are uh, hold dear in the church. And we would hear about passages of Scripture or biblical topics that were just what they needed in their walk with the Lord. And so um, I'm just going to share with you this morning that it's been almost two years to the day since I've preached. So I have a lot of pent-up preaching in me. And I'm just asking your permission to just let it all out this morning and kind of maybe preach angry. But even if you don't, give me permission, it's happening anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But I'm just giving you warning in advance. Um, If you don't have a Bible, our ushers will come down and uh, you can slip your hand in the air and get a copy of God's Word this morning. If you don't own a Bible, please accept that as our gift to you. Um, We are going to be in 2 Samuel 6 this morning. And if you're not uh, sure where that is, it's about a quarter of the way through your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 6, about a quarter of the way through your Bible. So about eight years ago, uh, my wife and I moved to the area, and we began looking for churches. And so we attended a number of churches, and eventually we came to Harvest, and that was our last stop. We've been here since that week, and I will confess to you this morning that um, there was a piece of harvest that I didn't care for when I first came here. Um, And just in transparency, it was the worship. Um, I thought it was too loud, and I really couldn't understand why people were were worshiping emotively. I I thought it was distracting. I, I was kind of like, why would you do that? I can't pay attention to worship when you're doing what you're doing with your hands or whatever. And I stayed because the preaching was just so good. I thought, I can tolerate the volume of the music and those people who worship. Um, so raise your hand if you're like me. Just kidding, don't raise your hand <laughs> if that's been your experience. Um, But listen, I know in this room, because I've talked to enough of you, that I'm not alone in how I um, felt about the worship in this church. And so, because I felt that way, about two months into being here, Dave and Kristen invited my wife and my two daughters over for dinner. And I thought it would be smart to engage Dave and Kristen in a worship conversation and try to change their minds about how we worship at Harvest. Um, As you can imagine, it didn't go well for me Nothing changed uh, except me. You know, there was something that Dave said to me at that dinner that really sent me on a journey um, in understanding what God looks for when he looks at worship. And it was this statement. Dave said to me, I don't understand how someone can engage with the God of the universe and not respond. And so when he said that, I picked up my pie and smashed it in his face. I didn't do that, you know that, of course. Uh, but that, for me, was a, was a statement and a sentence that kind of rocked me to my core. And, and if you're like me, your theology of worship, when you come in here this morning, what you believe and what you think about worship is largely based on your experience. Okay, so my dad was a minister for 30 years, and when I came to this church, I was used to um, a Baptist type of worship. It was piano and organ and hymnal. And that's what I was used to. And, and for most of us, we haven't heard a lot of sermons on worship. 
We just know what we know because that's what we've experienced, and we came from good churches, and therefore what our experience is must be what worship should be. And so that statement challenged me. And so I began to research, what does God's Word say about worship? What does it show us about worship? And so I started listening to sermons and reading books and reading God's Word and trying to understand what is worship. Because we come here today with a collection of ideas about worship. So we're going to look at a passage in the life of David in 2 Samuel. And you guys know that David is a man after God's own heart. We know that to be true, but, but here's what's interesting. I've heard that explained a number of ways. Well, he's a man after God's own heart because he was quick to repent of his sin. Or he had a lot of faith when he faced Goliath and the other challenges in his life. Or he, um, he walked with the Lord. But aren't those things true of many other biblical characters who are quick to repent or had faith or trusted in God? I think one of the unique characteristics in the life of David is that he is the preeminent worshiper in God's Word. There is a 150-song psalm book in the middle of God's Word, and he cares about worship. David wrote many of those psalms. And so when we peek into the life of David, we are going to see a man who understands worship. And I would argue that's why he's a man after God's own heart, because he knows what it means to worship God. Um, let's pray together, and then we'll jump in to God's Word this morning. God, it's truly a privilege um, to open your Word this morning and to gather with your people. And God, we just went through an amazing um, time of worship where we exalted your name high. And I, God, I would ask that that would continue through the opening of your Word. God, that your manifest presence would be in this room, that we would come here with expectation. God, that you would show up and you would do what only you can do in this room that you would break down walls and, Lord, you would soften hearts and that the truth from your word would be received and it would change us and we would be more like you. God, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you're a note taker, our big idea this morning is your response or lack of exposes your feelings about God. Your response or lack of exposes your feelings about God. All right, if you're in 2 Samuel 6, say go. All right, I got half of you. All right, I'm going to pick it up in verse 11. It says, And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told to King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. So I just broke a cardinal rule when it comes to studying God's Word. You never, ever start in the middle of a chapter because you need context to understand what's going on and what the author and God intended for you to know as you read that passage. And so a little bit of background on what's happening here, and we can also answer the question, how did the ark end up in this house of this man, Obed-Edom? Um, so Saul, King Saul had died some seven years earlier to this event. And when he died, David became king of Judah, which was the southern kingdom, and Saul's son became king of Israel, the northern kingdom. And after seven years of battling, Saul's son dies, and David is now king of all of Israel. And one of the first things that David does is he goes to get the ark. 
And we know from 1 Chronicles chapters 13, 15, and 16, which details this passage uh, much greater, that um, David went to get the ark because Saul had neglected the presence of God. He had neglected the power of God, and he had set aside the ark in storage. And so David, as king, one of the very first things he does is he goes to retrieve the presence of God and to retrieve the ark. And I think you guys are familiar with the story. It's in storage, and they put it on an ox cart, and they're taking it some nine miles, and it begins to stumble, and one of the men reaches out to stabilize it, and he's smacked dead. And in that moment, the text tells us that David is both angry and afraid. And so he looks around, and he finds a nearby home, and he stores the ark away. It's the house of Obed-Edom. What a gift to this man. Not like typical telemarketers today or, or people who knock on your door, but he gets the ark. And then David hears, right, that this man is wildly blessed because of the presence of God. And David is reminded what it means to be in the presence of God. And so the first point this morning is that our understanding of God drives our anticipation. Your understanding of God drives your anticipation. You see, David, he goes a second time to get the ark. We see that in verse 12. It's just kind of one sentence. He goes and he gets the ark with rejoicing. In 1 Chronicles 13, we see what really happened. And he commissions Levites. Levites were the people who were supposed to carry the ark. And they put it on poles. And they begin to transport it. And he has a choir, and he has musicians, and he has a choir director, and he gathers the people, and he goes and he gets the ark. And he anticipates being in the presence of God because he is reminded that it is an incredible blessing to be in the presence of God. So I have to ask the question this morning, as you came into this place, did you come here with anticipation? Anticipating being in the presence of God. And, and we know what it means to anticipate, right? We understand. Um, raise your hand for me if you've ever planned a vacation. Put it up real high. Leave it up there. Okay, with your other hand, I want you to raise it. Keep your hand up. It's fine. I want you to raise it if you've ever waited in line for dinner, a concert, Black Friday, or a movie. Okay, everybody's hands are up. You can put them down. Thank you. Across the room, two hands are raised. Okay, do you know what we do when we plan ahead for something, when we anticipate a vacation or a movie or a dinner? Watch what happens. We set aside something of value for something that we hold of greater value. When you take a vacation, what are you setting aside? Time, money, resources, vacation days. You set aside something of value for something of greater value. When you wait in line at a restaurant, what are you setting aside? Time and money. Why? Because you hold food as a greater value. I don't know if you guys know this, but there's a smoothie shop that opened in Spring Lake on Friday. And apparently, if you were like one of the first 50 people in line, Friday morning when it opened, you could get free smoothies for a year. And uh, it just so happens that Carolyn Moeller, who led us in worship, decided to wait in line. So she camped overnight. And she was one of the first 50 people in line. There's like seven people in our church who have free smoothies for a year. But she was one of them. And so I just want you to think about this. Why did Carolyn sacrifice a night of sleep? Because smoothies are delicious. And she thought it was worth the sacrifice for something greater. Because she anticipated a smoothie a week for 52 weeks. 
So as you came into this place this morning, did you come in with anticipation of being in the presence of God? Did Maybe last night for you looked like this. You went to bed early. You set out your clothes the night before. You picked out your meal. You had the kids' clothes ready. And you got up refreshed. Your morning was smooth because you had planned ahead and you left home on time so that you could get here early enough to get your coffee and your donuts and visit with God's people. And then you left plenty of time to come into the service and work your way to the front where worship is the best. And then you made sure to put your baby or your toddler in the nursery because cooing babies and crying babies are distracting and you turned off your phone because you didn't want to be distracted because you were in the presence of God. Listen, I pre- I'm preaching this sermon. I didn't do that. I got up a half an hour late this morning. I don't know what happened, but, but you know what? For a lot of us, you know what it was like? We stayed up late for whatever reason. Maybe we watched Michigan lose. Maybe we watched something else. Whatever it was, it left us unsatisfied. <laughs> and, then, and then we wrestled through our morning, right? I, bet, I would bet many of us argued our way to church, showed up in the nick of time, We didn't have time to get breakfast, and donuts are delicious, so even though we could have made it into the service, we decided to go get a donut, and we kind of wandered in late. It's dark in here, and you can't see the seats, and you don't want to have to shuffle in front of people, so you sit in the back despite hundreds of open seats in front of you. Do you see the difference in what it looks like to anticipate being in God's presence? Every week, something really peculiar happens, and I I don't understand it. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but sometimes I'm at the back when the service ends. I'm waiting to come down front and pray with you guys, and something really weird happens. There's like a mass exodus when the last song starts. And I just, I don't understand it. Don't you want to linger in the presence of God? Don't you want to stay here in God's presence? I mean, if I were you, I'd come to the next service. We have three a weekend. I would come to more. We are here in the presence of God. I don't know where you're racing off to at 12.30 on a Sunday that you can't afford 10 minutes. And if it's to see the lions, let me help you. They're no good. (laughs) We know what it means to anticipate something of value in our lives. But I'll confess to you, I'm not like David. You know, David's first effort to get into the presence of God kills someone. I'm not suggesting that this morning. But I don't have that understanding and desire necessarily as David did to be in God's presence. And I think there's two reasons that we struggle to anticipate being here in God's presence every week. And I think the first one is this. I think we don't really know who God is. It's, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like if I said to my kids, I got DC Talk tickets. They would have no idea who that was. But if I were to say, I got Jamie Grace tickets. If you don't know who that is, she's a Christian artist and young girls love her. So I have two young girls. They would be very excited. What's the difference? They know who Jamie Grace is and therefore anticipate seeing her. If you don't know who God is, there's no reason to anticipate being in his presence. And for some of you this morning, you don't know who God is. He's not God to you. So I don't expect you to come in here with anticipation. But for many of us this morning, 
The reason we don't come in with the same type of anticipation we see in David's life is that we need to be reminded often of who God is and what God has done. Because we forget, don't we? Life is busy and we need the constant reminder. Job is a biblical character in God's word. He needs to be reminded of who God is in his life because he questions that and he forgets. And I want to read to you a little bit of God's gracious response to Job as he's reminded of who God is. And the verses will be on the screen above me. You can follow along. Here's what God says to Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding." Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out of the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Here's the reminder that God gives to Job and we get this morning that he is God and we are not. That he created the universe. That he holds it together with the word of his power. That he tells the sun to rise and the moon to rise and the wind to blow and the sea to stop. And he knit you together in your mother's womb, and he gives you your next breath, and he knows the number of hairs on your head. And for some of you, that's not very hard. <laughs> and as if creation wasn't enough to remind us of who God is, he redeemed us. You were a cold, lifeless, spiritually dead corpse with a heart of stone. And God in his great mercy reached down and he breathed into you the light of the gospel. And he set you on a rock and he robed you in his righteousness. And he gave you the Holy Spirit and he gave you a new heart. If that's the God that you know this morning, you cannot help but come in here with expectation and anticipation of being in his presence. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded. I forget these things. We come here every week, and the gospel is central and foundational in this church, and we are reminded of what he's done for us. Because if we don't remember, we will come in here and if the gospel and what God has done is not on our minds, we will come in here lazy and unexpectant. And our worship will reflect that. But that's not what God wants from us. Let's look back at the text. Let's see how David responds to being in the presence of God. I'm going to pick it up in verse 13. It says, And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps... He sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. We'll get to that later. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of horn. 
Our second point this morning is that your understanding of God drives your worship. Your understanding of God drives your worship. David's response to being in the presence of God is worship. How do we know that David worshiped? If you look back at the text, it doesn't say David worshiped. It doesn't say David worshiped. We know David worshiped because we see it in his actions. We understand it because we see what he does. If the text had said that David stood at a distance with his arms crossed, or that David was finishing his donut, or that David was checking his cell phone, we would rightfully assume David was not worshiping, right? But that's not what the text says, and we know he's worshiping because of his actions. And we know this to be true in our lives. 80% of what we communicate is through our body language. Let me, let me demonstrate this for you. Cody and Tricia, would you come up here for a second? Would you be willing volunteers? This will be very, very easy. Cody, I'm going to have you stand next to me. Tricia, you can stand next to him. Thanks for doing this. Okay, so I'm going to pose you guys in various positions, and then I'm going to describe something, and we're going to see what happens. Okay, Cody, put your hands in the air. Make a fist. Kind of look up over there. And Tricia, fold your arms. There you go. Okay, which one of these two people looks like a Michigan State fan? <laughs> okay, good. Now, all right. I would like you to um, get down on your knees and do this. Which one of these two people looks like a Michigan fan? <laughs> okay, one more. Stand up. I want you to put your arms out like this. Don't hit your wife. Which one of these two people looks like they're surrendering to the Lord? Okay, you guys can sit down. Thank you. You see, I pick on sports because stereotypically men, we know how to worship things, sports, our kids' performance, the fish we catch, the animal we shoot. We can be really, really good at worshiping God's creation and really bad at worshiping the creator. And how do we know? How do we know without a word how they feel, because our body tells on us, doesn't it? Now, I know for some of you, I'm stretching you, and you're probably thinking, the text says David danced. I hope he doesn't ask us to dance, because I am so Dutch. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to dance, but I, I want to show you something. I said before that we all come in here with kind of our own theology of worship, and it's based largely on our experience. I just want to show you from God's word what he says about worship. So these are not in your notes, but you can write them on the side if you want. There's three quick things that I want to show you that God says about worship because I don't want you leaving here thinking, well, that's his opinion. I want you seeing for yourself what I found to be true in God's word. And the first is this. Singing is commanded. It's not optional. God commands us to sing more than 300 times in his word. Singing is commanded. I'm going to throw a couple verses on the screen. You can see it for yourself. Here's the first one, Psalm 911. Sing praises to the Lord. 
enthroned in Zion, proclaim among the nations what he has done. And the second one, Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts towards God. There's a common theme in those two verses. I don't know if you caught it, but it's what God has done for us a thankfulness for what God has done for us. And when we sing, we sing out of a place of gratitude for what God has done. Do you know that Christianity is the only world religion that sings songs to their God? We have the God. Do you know why? Because for us, God did everything and we did nothing. In every other world religion, you have to do something to earn God's favor. And if you have to work at it, why sing praises to that God? You did the work. Sing praises to yourself. But that's not our God. God did the work for us when we could not do it for ourselves. And so we sing praises to him because it's not about us. It's about God. I know in a room this size that there are some of you who have voices of angels and others of you who have voices like sick crows. <laughs> but God knows that too. And God gave you that voice. And it blesses the heart of God when you sing. And he commands you to do it. And here's the thing about worship. I can't write the songs that we sing. I don't have that in me. But when I'm here and I get to sing, I'm able to express to God where my heart is in a way that I can't in any other venue or in any other fashion. There's something that connects me to the heart of God in worship that doesn't happen in other areas of my life. It's unique in that way. And God knows that. And he knows it's good for you. And so he asks you and commands you to sing. The second is this. The word praise is described a lot of ways it, with a lot of different Hebrew words in God's word, but the one that is used most is this. It's tehillah. And tehillah is a loud song of praise expressing the glory and honor due his name. Not tequila, which would also result in loudness. <laughs> tehillah, a loud song of praise. Here's a couple of verses that show us this from God's word. Psalm 34, one says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise, Tehillah, his loud praise shall continually be in my mouth. And Psalm 66, one and two, shout for joy to God, all the earth, sing the glory of his name, give to him glorious praise, give to him Tehillah, loud praise. It's not just a biblical principle, guys. We know this to be true in our lives. When I want to emphasize something, when I want to tell you I'm serious, when I want to show you I'm emphatic, I will raise my voice. And it means something. I went to um, a football game on Thursday night, Grand Haven's football game, and it was some people from the church, and they happened to win the game, okay? And when they would do things to win, score a touchdown, they recovered a couple of fumbles, the, the crowd would do what? Stand and cheer and scream and stomp their feet because it is an appropriate response when you see something that you want to acknowledge as good and you want to give it praise. And so they would respond in a loud voice and if they didn't, it would be really, really weird. 
if they went to the game and Grand Haven scored and everyone was like, bravo, amazing, the whole team would be like, what are you doing? It wouldn't even seem normal because we know that naturally in our lives, when something has importance to us, we say it louder. That's how we live our lives. And it is no different in God's word. He says, essentially, if you mean it, then say it loudly. That's how we communicate, and that's what God is asking of us. Here's the third thing on worship, and it is the second most used word to describe praise in God's word, and it's used some 90 times. It's the word yada. And the word yada means to throw out your hands or extend your hands or to worship with your hands. It could include clapping. Here's a couple of verses where you can find it. Psalm 106.1, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks, yada. Oh, throw out your hands to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 118.21 says, I will praise, I will worship with extended hands, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. This too makes so much sense, not just in God's word, but practically in our lives. I'm reminded of when I was a child and I would play cops and robbers, and when the cops finally cornered the robbers, they would say, come out with your hands up. Why? Because what does this communicate? Surrender. Surrender. And if you have a child and they come to you, however they get there, they're small, they don't even have to say a word, they can lift their hands And as a parent, you know what it means. They need you, and they want relationship, and they need your care, and they want your presence. And so when you come in here and you lift your hands to God, here's what you're communicating. I surrender. I need you. I want your presence. That's what this means. What does this mean? No, I'm not going to humble myself. I'm not going to acknowledge that I need you. I'm not going to engage in this moment. You see, we communicate with our bodies all the time, and God knows that. And he says, when you worship me, I want you to worship me the same way that you worship in regular life. I hope you see the connection, and I want you to see this is not, this is from God's word. And here, here's the thing. I know I'm really, really pushing some of you. This process of worshiping like we see in God's word is gradual. So can I just help you a little bit? It was gradual for me. It's not like I went home from the conversation with Dave and I, and I was like, well, now I'm engaging with the God of the universe. I have to do these things. It was gradual. It was kind of like this for one week. It was like one hand, then two hands, and then, then three hands. Wait, <laughs> Just two hands, no three hands. Um, But if that's you, start somewhere. You know, start with a chicken wing and then move your way up, okay? We want to do what God's Word asks us to do when it comes to worship. I hope that's helpful so that you know what that means. Let's pick the text back up, uh, verse 17. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent of David that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. 
And when David had finished offering the burnt offering and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread and a portion of meat and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house. Here's the third thing that we see from the text this morning is that your understanding of God drives your generosity. Your understanding of God drives your generosity. David is blessed by being in the presence of God. And he understands that while he's there to worship God, that he's not there only for himself. So he's there to meet with God, but not only for himself. And because he is blessed by God, he does two things. He gives a verbal blessing, he speaks a blessing over the congregation, and then he meets a need, because he gives them food and he sends them on their way. So I just have to ask you guys this morning, are the people of God in this room blessed because you're here this morning? Is your participation in this service a blessing to others? Do you take the time to talk to people and understand their needs and maybe pray for them or offer some godly counsel or meet a physical need maybe? If you come to this church and you call it your home and you don't serve, you are a consumer. Cal preached on this a few weeks ago. We are the body, or last week, we are the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is not about what you get out of it necessarily. And I hope you are blessed by being here. But in being here, when you are blessed by God, that blessing should translate into blessing others. And this body of believers should be looking for opportunities to give blessings to other people. What if everyone in this room committed to pray with just one person a weekend. Just one person. Find the time to care for someone else and, and help share a burden. And if they're not carrying a burden, lift praises to God in prayer. Because God is good and he does a lot of good things too. Either way, do you know what it would be like in this room if every one of you prayed for one other person? Do you know what that would feel like in this place? You know the blessing that it would be to the person you prayed for and the blessing you would receive as you prayed for other people or as you served other people. Man, David is a great example. He is so blessed by God that he turns that blessing and he blesses those people around him. There are a few couples in the church that I'll just tell you when I see them, um, my heart gets warm. And, and I have a smile on my face, and I know that my interaction with them is going to be one that leaves me feeling good. You know, it's, it's people like Lance and Jen Mashila and Les and Dee Toth and Larry and Shelley Dykstra-House. Apparently, if your name starts with an L, it's easy to make the list. But I want to tell you something. Why are those people a blessing to me? Because when they come into this place, they're looking for opportunities to serve and love others. And that attitude translates into being used by God to bless the people around them. I want to be more like David. I want to bless people. I want my blessing from God to translate into others. 
Let's look back at the text, just one last section, and see how this all wraps up. Verse 20. And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But my, my female servants, of whom you have spoken, by them I should be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. The fourth thing we see this morning is that your understanding of God drives your devotion. Your understanding of God drives your devotion. David is blessed by being in the presence of God and God's people, and he goes home. And he's going to bless his family, and his wife meets him at the door. Man, have your wife ever met you at the door? It's usually not good, and it's not good for David here either. She's angry. And she says to David, I saw what you did. And you are acting in a way that's shameful. Remember, he's dancing in the linen ephod. And I don't know, for some reason, I was kind of taught growing up that he was dancing in his underwear. Am I alone in that? I know maybe there's a couple of us in the room. Okay, everything that I've read is that he wasn't in his underwear. A linen ephod is a priestly or a Levitical garment, and they could be just plain or they could be ornamental. It doesn't really matter. He's wearing a garment that doesn't belong to a king, and in order to put it on, he would have had to take off all of his kingly ornaments, right? The breastplate and the crown and the robe, and he would have been wearing something he wasn't supposed to wear, and he would have been in a place that he wasn't supposed to be, and he would have been doing something that was very unbecoming of a king. And you see his wife who says, you're a king, act like a king. You're embarrassing yourself, and you're embarrassing me, and you should be ashamed. David's response to her critique of his worship is wonderful. Here's what he says in verse 21. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. Do you see it? It's there twice in one response. It was before the Lord that I worshiped. David did not care about his status as a king. He did not care what other people would think about him. He did not care what his wife would think. He, I'm, I'm not even sure he knew other people were there. He's saying, I worship before God, not before men. And I know in this room that probably the greatest hindrance to us worshiping God is our pride. And our concern over what other people will think about us. We are more devoted to our ego than we are devoted to our God. You see, our ego is not well served by all out worship. And it is fear that keeps us from raising our voices in this congregation. Think about it for a second. The essence of worship is humility. Because aren't we saying God, you are great, and we are not. 
and we are elevating Christ and we are lowering ourselves when we worship. It is the essence. Humility is the essence of worship. And yet somehow we've developed this amazing ability to say with our mouths, God, I exalt you and never once humble our hearts. David clearly doesn't care what people think. And his position would have warranted different behavior, but he doesn't care because he is exclusively devoted to his God. I'm going to call the band out, and I want to ask you guys this question. If someone watched how you prepared to come into God's presence this morning, from the time you went to bed last night to how your morning went, when you got here, who you took the time to engage with this morning, how you expressed worship to the God of the universe, would they actually believe what you say you believe about who you worship? Would they believe that you believe that you're worshiping the God of the universe? Would they believe what you say you believe about what he did for you, that he brought you from death to life, that he gave you a new heart, that he gave you his Holy Spirit, would they believe that about you? We watch David worship and it doesn't even say he worshiped, but we know it's true because we see it in his actions. I can't go back and change how you came in here this morning, but I got good news for you. You guys are here every week. Next week, you can come in with anticipation of being in the presence of God. You can plan ahead. You can sacrifice things that you hold valuable for the thing you hold more valuable. I can't change how you came in, but you know what I can do? I can give you another opportunity to worship God. We're gonna sing a couple of songs and I would ask, if you're one of those people who leaves during the last song, I wanna challenge you to stay. Stay in the presence of God. Stay here and worship the God that you came to worship because he's worth our worship and our devotion. Would you pray with me? God, I confess that uh, I don't always come into this place with a heart that's ready to worship, with a mind that's expectant, with a desire to be with you. I'm sometimes going through the motions, God. Forgive me for that. Forgive me for a pride that would keep me from worshiping you in a way that would be meaningful. And God, that would be true to where my heart is. Lord, we love you. We want to be devoted to you. We want our worship to reflect that. Lord, forgive us for not. And God, would you just bless these two songs that we're going to sing and would they be a blessing to you as we lift our voices in worship of our God. In Jesus' name, amen.